We are continuing this series called Breathing Fire about the power of our words and, uh, and what this series is. It comes from a, a, a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. The reason for that is, you, you may remember, the reason for that is, how did God create the world? When God creates, he created with the power of his word. Every time God speaks, it is. His words have power. And then what we know is that we have been created in his image. And because of that, God has created us with the power of words, words that have very unique power. And so what we saw last week, what we saw last week is that in many ways, uh, the directions of our life are steered by the directions of our words. Okay. So let me just kind of lay this out here, boil it all down, change your words, change your tongue. You'll end up changing your life, change your tongue, change your marriage, change your tongue change your relationship with your children. In fact, the Bible even says that when we, when our lives change by the power of the spirit to become saved, what happens is we confess with our mouth and that we're saved. So even change your tongue and change the trajectory of your eternity. That's what you see in the Bible. So let me just kind of say this. If you look around at your life right now, you, you might have exactly the spouse, uh, the children, the career trajectory, the friendships that you created with your mouth. That might exactly be where you are in your life. Now, what we're doing today is we are in the longest discourse in the Bible on the power of the tongue. It's James chapter three, okay? James three, we're gonna get over to Isaiah seven. So James three, now just get with me. We're gonna get in and what we're gonna see today, we're gonna continue the passage we started last week. And here's what this is. This is a passage with amazing facts about the tongue, okay? Amazing facts, and there's three of them. Uh, so let, let's get in, three of them, because I'm, uh, because I'm a preacher. There's, there's gotta be three. So get in with me, pick up with me in verse six, and let's get right into it, okay? Amazing facts. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set and itself set on fire by hell. Now, let me just say this. So here, amazing fact number one. What James is saying here is that the tongue is, listen, it's inherently evil. The tongue is inherently evil. What James is saying is, let me say it this way. He's saying the default mode of the tongue is to destroy. There, the default mode, you come out of the womb, you come out of the womb with a tongue that if something doesn't come into your life and change the default mode, you'll spend the rest of your life tearing down, destroying both others and yourself with your tongue. Now, <clears throat> there's theology behind this. Uh, but let me do this. The, the, the theology behind this is called original sin. That's what theologians say. We're all born with a bent to sin. Now, if you don't believe me, let me ask the experts in the room, the parents, okay? Let me ask the experts in the room. Did you have to teach your children to say mean things, or did they figure it out all on their own? Which one was it? Did they teach your children to say mean things, or did it come naturally to them? And a lot of times, that's right, it came naturally. Got an amen over here. And a lot of times, you have one child that it comes a little more naturally for, if you know what I mean. That, that's how it works. So if you're, if you're not tracking me, let me, did you have to teach your children to say please and thank you or to scream mine, right? You see how this works. Uh, I'll just kind of lay this out here. You, not that this has ever happened to me, but you haven't lived until your child has seen somebody wearing a medical eye patch in a grocery store and yelled, pirate, 
You haven't lived until something like that's happened to you. Now, listen, what, what's my point here? My, my point is the tongue is evil. That when, as we come out of the womb, the default mode of the tongue is to steal and kill and destroy for deception and blasphemy and to speak cursing and death out into the world. And until you have a power that comes into your life and changes the default mode of your tongue, that's what's going to happen for the rest of your life. Now, the good news is we're born with an evil tongue, but you can be born again. That is the message that the Bible has for us. Born with an evil tongue, but you can be born again. So amazing fact number one, the tongue is inherently evil. And unless you have a power that comes into your life and changes your heart, then you will live your life with a tongue that will destroy. That's amazing fact number one, okay? Amazing fact number two. Look down at verse seven. So it goes, actually, don't look down at verse seven. I'm skipping around. Go down to verse nine. So number nine, look at verse nine. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, you can hear his, his urgency. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. Now, here's amazing fact number two. He said, here's what he's saying. He's saying the tongue is contrastingly productive. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the tongue is productive. We already know that. What James is saying is here's what's absolutely amazing about the tongue. It's contrastingly productive. So let, me, let me boil it down for you. What James is saying, he's saying, listen, nature can't even do what your tongue can do. Think, think about this. Can one spring produce both fresh water and salt water? Nope. Can one tree produce two kinds of fruit? Nope. But one tongue can both bless and curse. One tongue can do. You see, the tongue is contrastingly productive. Let me tell you what this sounds like. Here's what this sounds like. This sounds like somebody that walks into a service, and what do you say in the service? You say, oh, God, I bless you. Oh, my heavenly Father, I love you so much. You are so wonderful. You are so holy. Then you walk out in the lobby, and you say, oh, boy, I just hate her. She's the biggest gossip in the church. I've told everybody. You know, that's how it, she's just the worst. Now, what happens there? What happened is one tongue blessed and cursed. You see that? Your tongue can do both. It's contrastingly productive. Now, what James is saying here, did you notice what he said? He said, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's how your tongue was designed by God to be used. Your tongue was designed for the quality of your words to match the quality of the creature that it's speaking to. That's the only way that we are designed to use our tongue, the quality of your words to match the quality of the creature you're speaking to. Now, listen, here, here, let me tell you what this looks like, and here's how we fail at this, okay? And I'll, here's a personal confession. So a few weeks ago, I was uh, preparing for my sermon down at Mule Town Coffee Shop in Columbia, Tennessee. I was down there in the middle of Columbia on the square preparing. I'm preparing my sermon, doing the work of the Lord, and in walks uh, a homeless man who is clearly mentally ill. And he sits down next to me right now. I mean, there's every seat's open. He sits down a seat right next to me. And I'm preparing the sermon. As soon as I walk in, he walks in. He's sort of mumbling under his breath. He's, there's obvious mental illness. And the first thing I did was, my goodness, I really don't want to speak to this guy. And so I popped in my earphones, and I'm sitting there, and it just I got really uncomfortable. I'm trying to do the sermon prep. And so all these words start coming to my mind. And here, this, again, this is a, a very vulnerable confession. 
Here's all the words that start coming to my mind. I, I start thinking about this man. My goodness, this guy smells. He's smelly. Uh, this guy is mentally ill. That's another word, mentally ill. Uh, this man is obviously dirty. Man, there's, there's a problem here. Uh, how I, I think the word inconsiderate. I'm going, man, there is every seat in this whole place is open. I'm clearly doing work. How inconsiderate of this guy to sit next to me. Even the word annoying. I'm thinking, man, how annoying. This guy just keeps talking over uh, under his breath, speak, just right here. He's kind of messing up my sermon prep. And then all of a sudden, it was as if the Holy Spirit interrupted my thoughts and said, Josh, you forgot the most important word about this man, image bearer. He's an image bearer of the living God. And here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Josh, would you curse God? Well, if not, then why would you curse somebody that's made in the image of God? You see that? That's how our tongue was meant to be used. The quality of our words to match the quality of the creature that we're speaking to. Now, let me just tell you, here's what it looks like. I, I could go on and on and on about, and we will during this series, the different deadly sins that we speak with our tongues. And they are deadly. Uh, things like blasphemy, lying, contentious speech, uh, you know, unwholesome talk, dirty speech, all those sorts of things. Those are deadly sins. What this passage, we'll get to all those. What this passage does, though, is it says there's one type of deadly speech that's the most important you don't do. It's cursing people made in the image of God. Make sure you never, ever do that, okay? Now, can I just be really honest with you really quick about, let me just tell you how we hear, how we tend uh, to do this in our generation. So I want you to think about this. I, I, I do this with my staff all the time. Think about how perverse our generation is, especially my generation and down is, with how we use our speech, okay? So think about this for a second. Case study. Imagine that I'm at work one day, you're at work one day, and in walks somebody into the room, a guy named Bob, and everybody's sitting in the room, and you, in front of everybody, look at Bob's shirt, and you say, in a joking, sarcastic way, you say, hey, Bob, nice shirt, and everybody starts laughing at Bob. Okay, so there's one. Now, on the other hand, imagine this. Imagine another case study. Bob walks into the room, and everybody's sitting around, and all of a sudden, you raise your voice, and you, in front of everybody, you say, hey, Bob. Everybody gets quiet. They look at Bob, and you say, Bob, I want you to know you are one of the kindest men I've ever met. Bob, did you know that God has used you in my life? I hope that someday I grow up to be an honorable man like you, Bob. I'm so glad you're in my life. Now, think about this. If, we, if you are in a room, and in my generation and down especially, if you speak a curse, that's, that's what you do when you are causing everyone to laugh at an image bearer of God. When we speak a curse against somebody in our generation, everybody thinks that's normal. Uh, nobody thinks a thing about that. On the other hand, if you bless somebody in front of a bunch of people, everybody's going to get uncomfortable, aren't they? Everybody starts to feel awkward and out of place. Now think about this. Our generation is more comfortable cursing somebody than blessing somebody. You think about that? That's what has happened in our generation. Now, can I just, I wanna, because I love you, I just want to talk about this. Let me tell you how most of the time we, especially in my generation and down, tend to speak curses, demean people made in the image of God. Here's how this usually works. We do it with our humor. That's usually how this works in my generation and down. We curse people with our humor. So, for instance, hey, Bob, cute shoes. Everybody laughs at Bob. You, did you know this? Do you know what the word sarcasm means? It comes from two Latin words that literally mean 
to tear the flesh. That's what it literally means. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. You, you may be that person. I, for many years of my life, I really struggled with sarcastic speech and, uh, and tearing, pe- cursing people with my humor. Uh, and here's what I always used to say. If somebody would call me on it, then I would say, hey, I was just kidding, right? Essentially, what I would do is I would say, hey, the problem's not my tongue. The problem is you're too sensitive, okay? Now, if you do this, I want to read a Bible verse to you. Look at this verse. This is from Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. That that got a lot of us right between the eyes, didn't it? Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives. Now, listen, here's what we usually do. We like to hide curses in a manipulative, deceptive way in our humor with little jabs and stabs. Hey, Bob, cute shoes. Everybody laughs. Uh, Not that I've ever heard this before. Hey, Josh, nice skinny jeans. Everybody, you just did it right here in the service, just right there. Uh, This is what we hide, little jabs. Now, here's what we do. A lot of times what we do is we say, hey, as soon as we do that, here's our defense mechanism. I was only kidding. The problem's not with my tongue. The problem is that you're too sensitive. Well, listen, that's not the problem. Uh, Do you guys remember what we saw last week? What did Jesus say about our words? He said, our heart is like a tree and our words are like the fruit of the tree. A lot of times what we'll say is we'll say, I didn't mean anything by it. Yes, you did. Jesus says the only reason that fruit comes off of a tree is because it comes from the tree. So man, if those words come out of your mouth, they are there because there was something in your heart. That happens every single time. In fact, let me just say this to some of you right now. For some of you, this passage said that joking, uh, joking curses, joking little jabs are like arrows flying around in a battlefield. Do you know why some of you in your marriage or in your friendships, there's a lack of intimacy? Do you know why that is? Because your marriage or your friendships feel like a battlefield flying with arrows. You know what nobody does on a battlefield when arrows are flying? Nobody takes off their armor. Do you know what nobody does with a person in their life who's constantly giving sarcastic curses? Do you know what they don't do? Nobody will take their guard down. Nobody will do that. So watch your humor. A lot of times we'll smuggle curses into our language with humor, okay? I'll just say this, this little last guideline to give, give you this. Would you laugh at God? Well, then why would we laugh at somebody that is made in the image of God? You see that? That's what James is saying. It's, man, don't, my brothers, he says, this should not be. We ought to use our tongues, the quality of our speech, to match the quality of the creature that we're speaking to. Now, here's the good news. Our tongues can curse, but it also says that our tongues can bless. Your tongue can curse, but your tongue can bless. Now, let me show you what this looks like, okay? You can curse with your tongue, you can bless with your tongue. Uh, Let me show you what this looks like because some of us really struggle with this. Have you ever noticed that the Bible... It says that some people, their throats are open graves. That's what it says about some, uh, some people. And then other people, the Bible says their words are like what, the drippings of a honeycomb. Some people, throats open graves. Some, some people, their lips, their words, like the drippings of a honeycomb. Okay. Now, the first time I heard this illustration, when the preacher started talking, I thought, that is the cheesiest illustration I've ever heard. And when he was done, I thought, that is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. So think about this. Open graves, drippings of a honeycomb. Think about the difference 
between buzzards, two types of birds, buzzards and hummingbirds, two types of birds, buzzards and hummingbirds. Here's the thing about a buzzard. A buzzard can be flying over an entire oasis of living things, and it will find the one dead thing and descend on that dead thing. Here's the thing about a a hummingbird. A hummingbird can be flying over an entire desert of dead things, and it will find the one thing that is filled with life-giving nectar, and it will descend on that thing. Let me ask you this question. Is your throat, is your tongue an open grave that always finds the one dead thing and descends on that? Or is your tongue, here's what it looks like to bless with your tongue. If you have a blessing tongue, you can be in the middle of a desert of dead things or a person's life who has a lot of things wrong with their life and you'll find the one thing that is full of life in them and your tongue will descend on that thing. That's what it looks like to have a tongue that blesses, okay? So let me just ask you, here's what this looks like in your life. Some of you, here's what this needs to look like. You may have kids. This is really tough when you got kids, right? You may have kids, and your kid may not be the neatest kid in the world, but they have a good heart. You need to be the parent that skips over the fact that they're not the neatest kid in the world, and you tell your child, you speak blessing over your child and say, I love your heart so much. I love how you speak to people. God is going to use you so powerfully in people's lives because of your amazing heart. That's what it looks like to speak life and blessing into the life of that child. Uh, some of you, here's, you've got a wife, and here's the deal about your wife. She's not the most organized wife in the world, but she's a great mother, okay? Don't tear her down for what she's not. Build her up for what she is. You go into her life, and you, you look over the fact that she's not wired to be the most organized person in the world, but you say, it is unbelievable what kind of a mother you are. I can't believe that God has given the gift of you to my children, and you speak life and blessing into her life, okay? Some of you, you've got a husband, and he's never going to win yard of the year in your neighborhood, okay? Here's what you do. The next time he's mowing the lawn, you just you look so sexy in those black socks and tennis shoes. It's just unbelievable to me. Just I can't believe how hard you're working. That's what you do. What you do is you want to have... A t- what is James saying here? He's saying, man, if you want to steer your entire life towards the life of God, every second of your life, every time you speak... You're either agreeing with God and life or death and the devil. You are always doing that. And you want to have a tongue that comes into somebody's life and descends on the thing that is good and trustworthy and true. Okay. Now, I want to get really practical here because, like I said, of all the sins in, our enti- in my entire generation, this is one of the most grievous sins, I think, in our entire generation. We are a generation that speaks curse everywhere we go. Death, death and curse everywhere we go. So let me get really practical. If your tongue needs reset, let me give you just four. There are four blessings that if you're going to start somewhere, just go, man, I'm terrible at this. I'm always jabbing people and speaking death into people's, uh, people's lives. Let me give you four that you can start with. This actually is where it started for me. Okay. So four powerful blessings you can speak into somebody's life with your tongue. Okay. Number one, Find something in somebody's life and just tell them, God used you in my life. Just any, anybody that you, in the smallest way, if you can look into somebody's life and just say, God used you in my life, that will be one of the most powerful blessings you can speak over somebody. It will give them courage that God is actually at work in their life and they matter. 
Okay? So number one, God used you in my life. Number two, it's so powerful when you look into somebody's life and listen, nobody sees themselves as God sees them. Nobody does. So when you look into somebody's life and you say this, you have what it takes. That is an incredibly powerful moment in somebody's life when you tell them, you have what it takes. You're speaking an incredible blessing into their life. That's two. Number three, whenever you say there's probably somebody in your life that you need to call and you need to give them this unspeakable blessing, you just need to say to them, I forgive you. You're forgiven. Okay. In fact, let me just say this. When you do that, I had a, an experience in my life. It almost felt like a second conversion when this happened to me. The Holy Spirit brought to my mind four people that I had held a grudge against for years. This was a few months ago. And he brought four names to my mind, and I called them, and I just, I just knew I had to speak that blessing to them. I just want you to know, you are forgiven. You know, here's what it felt like. It felt like being born again again. That's what it, some of you need to do that. You need to speak a blessing into somebody's life. You're forgiven, okay? And here's the last one. Number four, some of you, you never, ever say this fourth blessing. If you learn to speak this blessing in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, in your friendships, it's going to change everything. And here's what you need to learn to say. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That is an unbelievable. When you speak that, it releases all sorts of tension that may have been building up for years. I was wrong. Now, here, don't do this. Don't say, don't just say, can I ask your forgiveness? Here's what I figured out over the years. I've had a lot of people call me who have said horrible things about me uh, that weren't true. And they'll call me and say, Josh, I really feel like I need to ask your forgiveness. And I spend the entire conversation going, you should get around to it because I'm really waiting. Okay? Now, don't do that. Now, here's what you need to say. You need to say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? You see, you need to have a tongue, there's going to come a point in your life where you need to have a tongue that just speaks blessing and life everywhere you go, okay? So that's what James says. He says, man, contrastingly productive, and you get to choose death or life with a tongue. Now, last thing, here's the last amazing fact about the tongue. The last amazing fact, look, about, look at verse seven. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, here's, this, here's the last amazing fact about your tongue. Here's what it is. Your tongue is humanly untamable. Did you know that? Now, that's a, I, there's a very important word. Remember, I didn't just say that the tongue was productive. I said it was contrastingly productive, right? Uh, I didn't just say that the tongue was evil. I said it was inherently evil. It's the adverb that matters. It's the adverb that matters with this too. He didn't ju- I'm not just saying that the tongue is untamable. I'm saying it's humanly untamable. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility in our lives, does it? Okay, so think about this. If I tell you that you are humanly unsavable, you're humanly unsavable, does that mean that you don't have a responsibility to get saved? No. In order for you to be saved, you've got to respond to the grace of God in your life and receive forgiveness from Christ. In the same way, when I say that your tongue is humanly untamable, What that means is that you do have a responsibility. You've got to learn to submit your tongue to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
That's what has to happen. You've got to have an encounter with God that changes the default mode of your heart, default mode of your tongue, and you've got to submit your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to show you what this looks like. So flip over to Acts or Isaiah 6. I told you we're going to be in Isaiah 6. Look at Isaiah 6. And I want to show you this is one of the most profound moments in the entire Bible. Okay? Now, here's what you're seeing. Again, I need you, I'm just going to sound very basic, but I need you to keep this in your mind. Remember, Isaiah 6 comes after Isaiah 1 through 5. Wasn't that amazing, what I just said right there? Isaiah 6 comes after Isaiah 1 through 5. I need you to keep that in your head. Now, I want you to see Isaiah 6 is a living example of James chapter 3. Most people never connect those dots. That's what's happening here. So I want to point out a couple things about this passage to you and show you there is something that needs to happen in some of your lives this morning, and I'm going to give you a chance for it to happen this morning, okay? Look at this passage. This is what Isaiah, he was a prophet. This is what he says. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, really quick, uh, back in these Bible times, the longer your robe was, the greater your authority was. Now, think about this. Why does the train of God's robe fill the entire temple? Do you know why? There's no room for anybody else's authority. That's why he is the king of kings, and no other king walks into his presence and has any authority. Presidents, come and go. Jesus is Lord forever. That's what this is saying right here, okay? Now keep going. Above him stood the seraphim. Those are angels. Seraph means fire. Im is a plural ending in Hebrew. So it's saying the fiery ones, the angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, now listen, this is interesting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me ask you this. Why does the Bible repeat holy, holy, holy three times? It says it three times. Here's what's going on. A lot of people don't realize this when they read the Bible. Here's why. In the English language, there's about a million different words. In ancient Hebrew, there's about 8,000 total words in ancient Hebrew. So listen, in English, if we want to accentuate something, we have a bunch of words to do it. So if a building is big and we want to accentuate that, we can say the building's huge. The building was massive. The building is ginormous, you know, whatever you want to do, okay? In Hebrew, they didn't do that. They don't have, they only got 8,000 words. So here's what they did in Hebrew. If they want to accentuate the reality of something, they just repeat the adjective twice. Now, sometimes uh, this is really, this turns really funny. So for instance, if you were to go back, don't do it right now. I want you to stay in Isaiah 6. If you were to turn back in everybody's Bible in this room to Genesis 14, 10, uh, everyone in this room, your Bible is going to translate Genesis 14, 10 differently. It talks about people falling into a pit. Some of your Bibles are going to say, and they fell into tar pits. Some of your Bibles will say they fell into great pits. Some of your Bibles will say they fell into bitumen pits. Do you know why everybody's Bible translates it? Here's why. Because the Hebrew literally reads, they fell into the pit pits. Now, here's what the the writer was saying. He was saying, there's pits, and then there's pits. And some pits are pittier than other pits. And these pits, the pit pits, were the pittiest pits of them all. Uh, It's one thing to fall into a pit, but if you fall into a pit pit, you're in deep trouble. Okay? I worked on that all week right there. That's what he's saying. That's what happens. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's great. That's great. So that's what he's saying. He's saying pit pit. Now, let me ask you this. Why right here? So that's what in Hebrew you do. If you are accentuating something, you'll say it twice. Did you know this? There's only one time in all of recorded ancient Hebrew that a writer 
a repeated adjective, not twice, but three times. You're looking at it. What the writer is saying is that God's not two times holy. He's three times holy. He's more holy than I can even express in words. Do you know, here's the most true thing about God is that he's holy. The Bible never says about God that he's uh, love, 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 even though he is incredible loving. It never says he's eternal, eternal, eternal. The only thing God, it says three times, he's holy, holy, holy. Do you know what holy means? It comes from a Hebrew word that means cut apart or separate. When these angels see God, here's what they're saying. They're saying, you are so different from me that I can't even speak it. I don't even have words for how different you are than me. Now, let me ask you this question, my Bible scholars in the room. In what way, if you were standing in God's presence, in what way would you most deeply feel his difference from you? Do you know how? We actually know the answer to that question. Look at what Isaiah says right here. Verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me. Now, don't read on, okay? Don't, don't spoil it for me. Don't, you know, don't read on. Here's what's really interesting. I told you earlier, Isaiah 6 <coughs> comes after Isaiah 1 through 5. I know that's amazing Bible scholarship, okay? Here's why that's really important. Uh, in Isaiah 1 through 5, Isaiah speaks a series of six woes. When prophets were speaking a word of incredible uh, conviction... They'd speak a woe against people. But here's the interesting thing. Did you know in in the prophets in the Bible, woes don't come in sixes. They come in sevens. So Isaiah, for five chapters, he speaks six woes, and then he would have sat around going, Lord, I'm your prophet. I'm hearing from you. What's the last woe? What's the last word of incredible conviction against me and my generation? And what he didn't know was that the last woe he would speak against himself. And what does he say? Look at what he says. Woe is me, for I am lost. And here's what he says. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying? He's saying, oh, Lord, here's how you're so different than me. Your speech is pure, and my speech is full of cursing and bitterness. Your speech is full of life. And when I look at myself and my generation, our speech is full of cursing and death. And what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I can't tame it. No matter what I do, I don't seem to be able to tame my tongue. But what does God do? Okay? What does God do? Okay, your, your, your tongue's born evil, but you can be born again. He, God can change the default setting of your tongue. Look at what God does. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Let me ask you this question. Why does God fly to him with a burning coal and touch his lips? Why a coal that's burning, but not just a coal that's burning, a coal that's burning from the altar? Do you know what was on the altar in the temple of the Lord in the tabernacle? Two things were always on the altar, fire and a sacrifice. Those are the two things that are always on the altar, fire and a sacrifice. So one, do you know what this passage is doing? It's pointing forward to the fact that someday God was going to send a sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus would come into your life because he loves you so much, and he would come in, and he would change your heart, and he would change the default mode of your tongue. So one, he was pointing forward to the fact that a sacrifice would someday come and would touch our lips and take away our sin 
and cleanse us and make us holy in God's sight, okay? But two, what does fire always represent in the Bible? Do you know what it always represents? In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, it says that divided tongues as of fire descended on them and God touched their tongues with fire, okay? Now, this is what's happening right here. The tongue is, listen, it's humanly untamable, but did you know this? It's divinely tameable. There is a power that can come into your life and change your tongue. The one who made it can redeem it. The one who wrote the owner's manual can fix it. Do you know how? By the power of the, of the Holy Spirit filling your life. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and fills your heart, what he does is he acts too. He'll come and he'll touch your tongue with fire. And it'll turn you into a person who breathes the fire of life into winters instead of people who breathe the fire of death into dry kindling. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance today to, uh, to receive him and to be filled in a greater measure with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you here, you may go, well, Josh, what the heck kind of church is this? Well, here's what kind. It, we're a Bible church. We're a Bible-believing church. You think about this? Think about this. When the, the disciples in Acts 2, they were saved, and the Holy Spirit came to life when they were saved in Acts 2. But then in Acts 4, it says, again, that the same people were even more filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, think about this. The book of Ephesians was written to people who were already Christians, but what did Paul tell them? He said, you need to be, he's, he said, be filled with the Spirit. Isaiah, for five chapters, had been walking with the Lord. But when he needed his tongue fixed, what happened? He said, man, God touched his tongue with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus. Have you thought about this for Jesus? Did you know that Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit before he entered into his teaching ministry, the ministry of his tongue? If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit for anointing on his tongue, do you know what you need? You need the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to change your heart and in so doing, to begin to change your tongue, okay? So I want to pray, uh, for those of you who are willing, I want to pray this morning that that would happen in our church and that God would overwhelm us with the power of the Spirit. Will you stand with me right now? I want you to stand. And uh, here, here, nothing weird is going to happen right now. Some of you have been in church, you're like, man, are they bringing out the snakes and the tambourines? That's not what's happening. What's happening right now is a holy moment. Nothing weird is going to happen in this room right now. All we're going to do is I just want to ask you if right now, if something is rising in you as I'm preaching, and there's something inside of you that's saying, I, I need a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in your life, I'm going to give you a chance to receive him in greater measure this morning. So if you could do this, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you do that? And um, if you right now, if you are just sensing that, then I need a tongue adjustment. I need more of God's spirit in my life. Uh, Like I said, I feel like something solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. And so if that's you, would you give me a chance to pray for you just by raising your hand right now? Praise Christ. Oh, amen. Yes. Okay, you can put your hands down. And um, I'm getting ready to pray for you, uh, but I want you to hear this. There's, uh, when I was in uh, church history, I studied a man named D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody was a preacher for years with no power in his ministry. Preaching his church, nobody came and no one was saved. And there were two little old ladies in his church who told him, uh, Dr. Moody, we're going to pray for you to be increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I, 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 that's not my thing. I don't, I don't. And they said, we don't care, we're going to pray for you anyway. 
And eventually, he was, they kept praying for him. He was walking down Wall Street in New York City. And, uh, and he said that an overwhelming sense to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill his life in greater measure came over him. And he ducked into a friend's basement on Wall Street. And uh, he said it was as if waves of liquid love poured over him. And he uh, prayed for the Holy Spirit in greater measure. And from that day forward, his ministry was never the same. He, preached, he went back to his church that week, preached the same message he'd preached before. And uh, dozens of people were saved. And then hundreds and thousands of people began coming to his church. That's the power that the Holy Spirit can give you on your tongue. Okay? And so I want to ask that you do that right now. And if that's you right now, will you just do this? Will you just say to the Holy Spirit, I receive you? Nothing weird's going to happen right now. Just say to him, Holy Spirit, I receive you. And then right now, just ask Jesus, because Jesus is the one, the Bible says, that pours out his spirit on his bride. Ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Just ask him, Jesus, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, uh, in the same way that a father whose son asks for food, gives him food, he said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to his children that ask? And so just ask him, Jesus, I need more of your Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, please give him to me. And then I'm going to pray for you right now. And so Jesus, what I ask is that today, I ask you to fill my brothers and sisters with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would even begin doing it right now in this service, uh, that you gave us your spirit when we were saved, but you ask us to continually seek to be filled in an ever-increasing way by more and more of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that right now in this room, that you would pour him out in power and that you would come into our lives and change our hearts and give us tongues for blessing and praise, tongues of courage and power for ministry. Father, please fill my brothers and sisters who need your spirit from the tops of their heads to the bottom of their feet. In the same way that the Holy Spirit came on the disciples in Acts 4 and again in Acts 10, in the same way that your Holy Spirit came on Isaiah in Acts 6, in the same way that your Spirit even descended on Jesus, the Son of God, with power, would you please pour him out in power this morning? And I pray that people would be changed and that they would be able uh, to sense the fact that something is different in their life. Why? Because there is a power dwelling inside of them that is greater than the power that is in the world. So Father, would you magnify Jesus right now and touch our tongues with a burning coal of the living sacrifice of the crucified Son of God on our behalf. So Father, please do it. Father, would you please right now replace a spirit of fear with a spirit of sonship and people in this room. And I pray that that would rise and it would rise out of our tongues with tongues of praise and tongues of blessing, tongues of courage. God, give us tongues of boldness, of power uh, for witness. And I pray that you would please pour him out on our church uh, to touch our tongues with the fire of your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and we go ahead and celebrate and thank you for doing it right now. Amen. Amen, Father. Thank you so much. Yes, Father. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, right here, uh, you may be here and you may be going, man, I'm, I'm not sure I've, I felt anything. Well, listen, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith and not just by feeling. And so, man, I, I just want you to, to know that, that, man, when we ask God gives. That's a promise he's given, okay? So right now, here's what we get to do. We get a chance right now uh, to not only uh, receive the Spirit, but be reminded of the Son. And so it's an absolutely perfect day. As we sing this last song, we've got uh, stations for communion in the front and in the back. 
And what I'm asking you to do is an act of worship and a declaration of the power of God uh, in your life. If you're a Christian, as we sing this last song, um, I just want you to step out in the aisles and come forward and come back to one of the stations. Receive the bread. Be reminded of a broken body for you. Dip it in the cup. Be reminded of a shed blood for you. Be reminded of the sacrifice that was pulled from the altar on your behalf. Can we do that? We good for that? Let's do that right now. So lift your voices with me. Let's praise his name and let's receive the table. Go ahead and step out now. Go ahead and step out.